Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona, sitting in for your host, Khalil Ekulona. It seems every month a hot new diet emerges that has people buzzing. Folks try it out. The results are a mixed bag. And just as quickly as it appeared, the fad diet fades away, only to be replaced by the next surefire way to lose weight. This is the cycle of our modern diet culture, and the obsession with dieting and thinness affects us all, no matter our body type. But for people with larger bodies, it can be especially damaging and isolating. But there is a new perspective emerging, one that celebrates bodies of all sizes. How are they breaking the stereotypes? What is fat liberation? How do they find joy and community? That's coming up later this hour. But first, so far the special legislative session has been more notable for trying to stop public demonstrations than addressing gun reform. New restrictions in the House resulted in people being forcibly removed from committee hearings yesterday, and this morning the ACLU took legal action. Here with more about that lawsuit and the latest news from the special session are WPLN state politics reporter Blaze Ganey and WPLN health reporter Catherine Sweeney. Thanks both of you for joining us, and welcome back to the show. Thank you. Blaze, fill us in on the ACLU lawsuit and what impact it is having. Yeah, so the lawsuit was filed on behalf of the three women removed from a House uh, subcommittee yesterday. She was, one of of the women were holding a sign and that went against House rules. The ACLU says that's against their First Amendment rights, but less than 24 hours later, now a judge has temporarily blocked that rule thanks to the lawsuit. Um, In the Senate earlier, Nashville Senator Jeff Yarbrough spoke to a room full of guests after the committee ended and let them know about the news and the impact they were having. But when they make a rule trying to silence you, trying to tell you to not bring those signs in, like that lets you know that they notice that you're here. Yeah, and so far today, people have been holding up signs and chairmen are just letting them know, you know, not to hold them above their heads to block people from behind them seeing them. So it seems to be going fine so far. And, and that, that sign rule, that is specific to the special session. That's not something that's normally a rule for the legislature, right? Yeah, not at all. People usually are allowed to bring in eight, eight inch by 11 and a half, so like the size of a normal paper, and, and it can have writing on it. Um, some people even come in with like laminated ones, and, and it'll say different things. But for some reason, this time around, they wanted to stop them from doing that. But clearly, the courts are saying that they're not allowed to. So what about actually legislating? Are any proposals moving forward? Yeah, in the House, several bills are moving forward. Actually, just um, as we were on the, you know, on this call right now, the House is debating a bill that would allow faculty or staff members to carry a concealed handgun onto school grounds. They just actually passed one that allows uh, former law enforcement officers or former uh, members of the military to carry firearms onto school grounds, but it's really sort of performative because the Senate has decided not to move forward. Hmm. They've held uh, three or four four meetings today, and this is how three of them went. The remaining bills on today's calendar are laid on the table. 
Senator Gardenhire. Mr. Chairman, I move we adjourn subject to the call of the chair. Without objection, this committee stands adjourned. And that's essentially how three of their meetings went this morning. I mean, mm. less than two minutes. They have met. They essentially killed all the bills on the table and adjourned. Uh, there's apparently going to be only three bills that come out of this session uh, from the Senate side. And, and if the if the House can pass all these bills to the end, it won't matter because the they have to get some uh, companion bill on the other side to pass. The three bills, um, one provides free gun locks to residents if they request them from the state. The other codifies the governor's executive order on background checks. And the third requires the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation to give a report on the current state of human trafficking. Okay, Catherine, you, we don't know what's going to happen on the Senate side here. Right. You, but you followed several bills through their hearings in the House yesterday. How likely is it looking that they will pass at least there? At least there, um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure and they could pass out of there. It's not likely, right, that they'll pass out of the Senate. None of the bills that I was following are one of those three uh, that were coming out of the Senate. But um, the House hearings, I think they highlighted something that was really important. Um, it's kind of this clash of major problems facing the country and especially this region. It's a lack of beds for inpatient mental health care. Um, here's Dr. James McKenzie. He's a child psychiatrist at Meharry Medical College here in Nashville. Our biggest issue that we've identified for Middle Tennessee is that children are sitting in emergency rooms who have already been deemed necessary for inpatient medical care. So they've been involuntarily committed. Psychiatrists seen them said, you need to be in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And we can't get a hospital to accept them. So they sit, there was a kid yesterday I was on a call, just got off 30 days of sitting in an ER without treatment before being accepted. And that's an issue of hospital staffing. It's not that we don't have beds, we do. We just don't have hospitals that can safely take the people already at this moment are sitting in our emergency rooms into care. Yeah, so they were talking about a bill that would um, kind of look at therapists and mental health workers' duty to report threats. But again, it's not looking like the Senate's going to take that bill up. Uh, but this issue, kind of independent of special session, it's like a bingo card of health policy problems that people like me have been writing about for the past few years. Workforce shortages in hospitals, severe mental health issues in kids, and then states not really having the resources to address either of those problems very well. So you mentioned mental health problems for kids. How, how bad is that piece of the puzzle? It's pretty, it's pretty rough, again, both nationally and here. So the CDC found in its Youth Risk Behavioral Survey for 2021 that 40% of high school students reported persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness in the past year. Hmm. And then here in Tennessee, a Vanderbilt study found that about 30% of parents in the state reported one of their kids getting diagnosed with depression or anxiety. So this is a really serious issue, and at least in the House during their hearings, members were saying it was something they wanted to focus on in the next regular legislative session. Blaze, can you put the mental health focus into context for us? I mean, the, the broad topic of the special session is public safety, and mental health has ended up being one of the big focuses of bills that we're seeing, right? Yeah, of the bills filed, mental health definitely uh, is, um, um, you know, through, a, through a, a lot of them. But I think what's more interesting is the fact that lawmakers who have been saying, well, instead of addressing, uh, you know, common sense, what people, what some people want is common sense gun laws, we're going to address mental health. And now it seems the Senate's ultimately saying, well, we're actually just going to address a very, very small portion of bills 
that aren't really tied to mental health at all and just adjourn for the whole session. So it seems as if there wasn't as much energy behind making any real substantive changes to most policies in the state. Well, looking at what's ahead today, what bills are seeing actual debate? Yeah, so I mentioned some of those that would allow people to carry guns onto schools earlier. In fact, many uh, in in that committee room were really upset, some storming out, um, you know, and I'm talking about guests here, uh, just so upset that they would pass something like this. I think a lot of the people in attendance don't agree that the answer to stopping things like the Covenant school shooting is allowing more people to carry guns into schools. And then there's also some orders of protection bills that would, uh, not the mental health order of protection, but one that would um, allow people who have been aggravated stalking and convicted of that crime, they would be able to get a lifetime order of protection. Um, So it's a lot of bills, but those are mostly on the House side. Like I said, the Senate is only moving on those three bills so far. So it's not clear that anything else will happen. Actually, earlier, uh, one of the bills that the Covenant families were sponsoring and are not sponsoring, but really proud of an autopsy bill that would stop autopsies uh, from coming out for youth did not go anywhere. Um, the For some reason, the, the sponsor of the bill just was not there in committee. It was the only Senate committee taking place at the time. I spoke to Sarah Shoup Newman and she says she was still hopeful that there would be something that could happen, but I've been up here for two years now and I see how things go. He wasn't just missing the meeting because he was busy. Well, Blaze Ganey, you know these things because you cover state politics. Catherine Sweeney covers health care for WPLN News. You can find more of their reporting and the latest news from the session at the top of WPLN.org and listen for developments during All Things Considered. Blaze, Catherine, thanks for this update. And as always, thank you for your reporting. Thanks, Nina. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn more about fat liberation and the myths of diet culture. What does fat liberation mean to you? Tell us about your journey by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Cardona, and this is Nashville. When you take a look at yourself in the mirror, what do you see? How do you react to looking at yourself? Are you filled with pride and self-acceptance? Or do you feel shame and self-ridicule? For millions of people with bigger bodies, the answer is too often the latter. Our society values being thin and stigmatizes larger bodies as unhealthy and a problem to be fixed. Yo-yo dieting and fitness fads add to this messaging and normalize anti-fat bias. But there are people who are working to dispel the myths, stereotypes, and biases against bigger bodies. They are liberating themselves from fat shaming. And my next guest knows this well. I'd like to introduce Jess Thompson. She's the owner of Get Fit 615 Gym, and she joins us now. Jess, thanks for being here, and welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. 
So tell us about Get Fit 615 Gym. What what kind of gym is it? Well, we are a non-diet gym. And when people hear non-diet, they think, oh, we don't focus on health. We focus on um, taking weight loss out of the equation. And we want people to move because they want to move for longevity or whatever your personal goals are outside of weight loss. So we don't have scales. Um, we don't talk about body changes. We don't talk about each other's bodies. We just come in, move our bodies and have joy in movement. How would you describe that atmosphere then to somebody? Well, when you walk in, I mean, everyone's kind of chatting it up. So it's like community forward. Um, we have a social justice lens too. So we definitely talk about current issues and things like that so that we are taking that approach to our wellness. It's a whole holistic approach um, to wellness. And so when you walk in, nobody's shaming you. We ask about your body, like as far as like injuries, things like that, and any limitations that you may have. And we modify our workouts accordingly for the person. We meet you where you are. Did you always want to be a gym owner? <laughs> no. <laughs> I wish people could see the <laughs> look you just yes. gave me, the way um, your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I've always... I guess my own body image issues led me to want to carve out space for people who mm. have that same experience to know that fitness can be for all bodies. It doesn't matter your size, your shape, your background, and even like your socioeconomic resources. That shouldn't be a barrier for you to experience fitness in its wholeness. Well, what has your own fitness journey been like? Wow. Um, my fitness journey, I really wasn't aware of my... Um, like, I've always been aware that I was a bigger, um, quote unquote, big boned um, growing up, but I never engaged in diet culture because I was always an athlete and, you know, things like that. But then I had a baby and you know what they say about like having a baby. You want to snap back after. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And so that pressure kind of got to me. So that's when I really started engaging in diet culture, Weight Watchers, Atkins, all these different things in order to try to lose weight. And the thing is, when I got smaller, I never felt better about my body. Like it didn't change the way that I engaged with my body. Um, and in 2017, my mom got sick. Um, 2016, sorry, she got sick. And that's really had me reevaluate like my relationship with fitness because I had to quit my job and I had to, you know, quit my gym. And so I couldn't engage with fitness in the way that I did, like re financially and with the resources that I once had. And so it made me reevaluate everything. And um, coming out of that situation, she passed in 2017, I got into a deep, dark depression and I found a gym that was like the first spot that was like super welcoming for me. So let, let's step back a little. You, you say you, you fell into a depression that also that losing the weight never made you feel good. What was that cycle of the feelings and the emotions that were associated with kind of the ups and the downs of, you know, the, the diet culture kind of taking over? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So as I got smaller, I think my social life got a little bit more expanded. And I, I recognize how people um, engage with me as I lost weight and like congratulating me more social <laughs> opportunities opened up more work opportunities, you know, because in society, thinness is is key. Like that's what people look for. That means you're well, you're thriving. And historically, that wasn't always the case. But that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> right. But like, um, but I was miserable because of the ways that I had to. Um, I was like counting every single calorie. I was 
working out 6 a.m. in the morning and then going back to the gym at 6 p.m. to try to maintain this image. And so I was really depressed then. Um, And then, you know, going through losing my mom, the depression was about the same, you know, like I had the same like grief. It's like grief over your body, but then grief over everything that I missed out on because I was chasing the body and there was a lot of shame there. And it sounds like a lot of mental work, a lot of mental energy spent on this one thing when you had so many other things going on in your life as well. For sure. How did that affect your relationships? Oh, wow. Yeah, my relationships. So I went through um, I went through a pretty tough breakup in 2014. And that's when it got really bad as far as diet culture, because I felt like, you know, the reason that he didn't want me was because of my size and because of my body changes. And so that's when it got really bad. And like I alienated myself from a lot of people that genuinely cared about me because I was going after the size. I wanted to be worthy and seen as worthy. Um, a lot of us chase that body for worth. And that's what I was looking for to validate myself. Um, and I had friends that were kind of flaky and like surface level that saw me as like, oh, she's a pretty party girl. So like, let's hang out with her. And um, yeah, it got really challenging. Um, one night in 2015, I was arrested and I was all alone. None of those friends that I thought were my friends were there. And that was like rock bottom for me. I was like, something's got to give. Something's got to change. And even then I was still, it's such a chokehold diet culture. Because even then, even after that moment, I was still like, but I still got to like be small. But I just can't Mm. do it the way that I was doing it before. So I was still kind of stuck in that cyclical ideal of diet culture. Well, one of the the big centerpieces of the diet culture, one of the kind of the machines that moves things along is the, you know, the eating trends. And we've all heard of things like the paleo diet or the keto diet. And my next guests know those very well. And they have notes. (laughs) Chelsea L. Medley is a family nurse practitioner in Nashville, specializing in the medical management of eating disorders. And Catherine McWaters is a registered dietitian and nutritionist and the director of marketing and partnerships at Nashville Nutrition Partners, PLLC. Chelsea, Catherine, thanks for being with us. Diet culture restricts not only how much people can eat, but it clamps down on what people can eat. Catherine, what is the relationship between living a healthy lifestyle and the foods that we eat? Mm, such a good question. I like how just just at, at the moment at the beginning of her section was um, talking about how oftentimes people hear weight inclusive or non-diet and they think that it is this anti-health movement. And it is so opposite of that because when we can take the focus off of weight, which is just this one sliver of a person's lived experience, we have so much more that we can pull from to measure and move in the direction of health that is very individualized. So um, with food and health, when we are not so worried about this downstream complex reality of weight, we can look at all these different food variables and help support health. But the thing is, food is not the only piece of health. In fact, for a lot of folks, it's a very um, unimportant element of health. We have to have safety and security and access to resources before we can even talk about 
the fiber content of your breakfast cereal. Um, and so we get to, when we're not looking at weight, just sit down with the person in front of us and say, what matters in your life and what does health look like for you and how can food support that? Chelsea, how do you see that kind of dynamic play out with the patients that you work with? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have connected and been told the message their entire life. You can't be healthy in a bigger body. And so the goal is just about weight loss and getting a number down, and they can do really unhealthy things to achieve that. And so I see that all the time, people weigh restricting, over-exercising, ending up with injuries, their mental health is suffering, they're not sleeping. And so when you look at health more holistically, you see this is not health. Um, and so in my practice, I don't look at the number on the scale to determine are my patients healthy or not. We talk about their lifestyle, their nutrition, their relationship with food and their body, how they're sleeping, their mental health. It's just a much bigger picture than this one number. The term that we were hearing a lot these days, body positivity, is about being comfortable with the body that you have and, and not the one that society wants for you. Can you both tell us about some other terminology that's helpful for us to understand it? Chelsea, how about you go first? Yeah, so I think the BMI is incredibly unhelpful, and those categories are not useful to me in my practice, um, but they get used a lot in the medical world. Um, health at every size is a term that's kind of gained momentum where we aren't judging people's health habits based on their body size. So I'm not assuming that because you're in a larger body that you're not eating healthy or you're not moving, but that's an assumption that gets made a lot in medical offices. So it's digging in with the patient and asking questions and not making assumptions. Catherine, are there some terms that you think people better should better understand? Absolutely. I think that food neutrality is a big one. We talk a lot in practice with, with patients that um, foods are morally neutral, that there are no good foods, bad foods, even healthy foods and unhealthy foods. We as humans have adapted to be able to survive from a whole lot of different food options. It makes us uh, very adaptable in a number of situations. And so foods offer a lot of different things. We can look at one food for one attribute it has and another for something totally different. And then we also have to remember that food is more than just fuel, that it can be celebration and shared memory and it's just so much more. So food is neutral and it, uh, it doesn't have to be a reflection of your worth or your commitment to health. Jess, are there any, any of these kind of things that you like to say at your gym to help people kind of get their mind around it? For sure. And one that um, I think we didn't mention is body liberation. Mm -hmm. And that's like outside of body positivity where sometimes that can become like toxic positivity where it's like, oh, I have to love my body every day or I'm doing this wrong. Liberation gives me the freedom to exist in the body that I have. And every day, it doesn't matter how I feel about this body, but I'm liberated in it to make the choices that I want to make and have the autonomy that I need to have to be healthy. So you mentioned BMI or body mass index. Chelsea, what are we getting wrong about it? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the history of where it came from, it wasn't created to be used in the way it's used. There's not a ton of research around how the categories were picked <clears throat> as far as like underweight, overweight, obese. Um, so we put a lot of weight on the BMI that I don't think it's worthy of or deserves. It doesn't take into account muscle mass, um, bone density. It just leaves so much out that to me, it's just not very 
um, worthwhile to use it. It's basically a very, very simple ratio, correct? Yeah, it's just height and weight. That's yeah. it. So if we're not using that as the primary indicator of health, what, what should we be looking at? Yeah, so again, I think it's a conversation with the patient. How do you feel? Uh, we look at lab results. Um, we measure you know, their cholesterol levels, their A1C, but even then it gets tricky because so much of that is determined by genetics and DNA. And that can bring a lot of shame to people like, oh, my A1C's up. I've done, you know, I'm, I'm bad. I'm, you know, I don't have self-control. I've done something to deserve this. And then you ask like, were your parents both diabetic and your grandparents were diabetic? You know, this kind of makes sense. This might be an issue. And then let's address that. And in a good way, let's send to a dietitian like, Catherine's group or others that aren't going to focus on restriction and weight loss, but on balance with nutrition and how to open up, you know, um, better patterns for them potentially if that's an issue. Well, you mentioned that, that one reaction that people can often have, oh, I don't have control. And, and Catherine, dieting holds out this promise of mm -hmm. a sense of control over your body, but are we in control of the size of our bodies or of our weight? Uh, such a good question. My favorite, my favorite soapbox to step on. <laughs> okay. um, so the, the short answer is no. There is so much um, that goes into determining a person's body composition. There are things that we can manipulate within that, but our bodies have evolved over millennia to keep us safe and stable. And so when we try to restrict them and control them, especially push them down below a weight that they want to exist at, there are countless survival mechanisms that kick on that help bring us back to a safe uh, safe and stable place. Basically, that restriction signals to our body that there is a, a threat of starvation or famine, and we need to do whatever we can to resist that threat. And so our bodies really fight back, and people can feel like their body is on a different team from them and that they're, they're fighting each other. And really, your body is your best friend. Um, it knows what is best for you. And when we look at supporting health and well-being from that holistic lens, we can give the body what it needs to operate in its best way. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm Nina Cardona. We're talking this hour about the fat liberation movement and the myths of dieting. My guests are Jess Thompson, Chelsea Medley, and Catherine McWaters. Join the conversation and tweet us at This Is Nashville. Catherine, what do we know about dieting? What are we missing? Mm, yes. So we know that the vast majority of folks who attempt intentional weight loss fail. Um, studies show that it's somewhere between 90 and 95% of people who pursue weight loss ultimately regain that weight within at, mo at most two to five years. Um, and then of those people who pursue weight loss, Oftentimes, th that ultimate weight regain brings them to a place higher than their original weight. And because we're weight inclusive, we don't really care about that reality. But what we do care about is the psychological effects of that weight cycling, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, and some very real physiological consequences of that. It's, it's also not good for our health and well-being. Chelsea, where do these ideas of equating thinness with health, where did that even come from? Um, often from their provider's office. So I've had so many feedback from patients where their eating disorder or their disordered eating started at their pediatrician's office when, you know, the growth chart came up and they were 
told, oh, diet and exercise. And that's mostly what we were taught in school. Oh, diabetes, you need to diet and exercise, weight loss. But there was no talk of, okay, where's the research? Where's the diet that's actually effective for prolonged maintained weight loss? So even if we're operating on the assumption that weight loss is the key or the fix, we have not had a way to do that and maintain that. And it's kind of what Catherine said. Our bodies were set up to survive starvation. And they're really good at it. And so we can starve it. And it's like, oh, no, you're starving. Let me ramp up your hunger cues. Let me slow your metabolism down. Um, our body, it's protecting us. Um, not helpful if your goal is weight loss, but helpful to keep you alive and survive starvation. Jess, what about the, the cultural aspect of these body size ideals? I know that's something you've given a lot of thought to. Oh, for sure. Um, one of my favorite books is Fearing the Black Body by Sabrina Strings. And she gives a lot of detail about the historical implications of um, body shaming, weight shaming, and um, this ideal that thinness is superior and fatness is not. Um, and I mean, just experiences in my own body um, as a black woman who exists in a larger body, who's already marginalized because of the color of my skin, you know, a lot of black women do exist in larger bodies. It's just natural, like um, Chelsea mentioned, like bone density, genetics. I mean, even like historical things that have that we've experienced, generational things that have been passed down. Um, our bodies are just naturally a little more supple at times. And that's not 100 percent, right, because all bodies are different. Biodiversity is huge within all cultural ranges. But specifically in black and brown women, we tend to be curvier and larger and, you know, more supple. And we get, you know, the the implication is that we're not as healthy. Oh, well, 85 percent of African-Americans have this. So you're black and you're fat. This is a health problem. So we're just going to prescribe weight loss instead of looking at the whole picture. Like, what is my environment? What is like Chelsea said, like who in my family has had this in the past? Like even my mom was thin and she had those ailments. It's like we get discounted to our race and our size in medical situations, whereas, you know, if I were thin, then maybe there will be more testing, more conversation around what's actually going on. So, Chelsea, all of this, then, you can't get away from the idea, then, of eating disorders. And how are those affecting particularly young people? I mean, it's it's huge. There's more and more. I think his body image is, is glorified. Thinness is glorified. Kids are exposed through social media at a younger and younger age, so it's it's not going away for sure. Um, and more and more men are being diagnosed with eating disorders and suffering from that. So it's it's not going anywhere. It's very you know interconnected. Disordered eating, eating disorders, diet culture, they're just enmeshed. How can people be trained to help a loved one? I mean, there are resources available. The internet is a great place for that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we just have to retrain ourselves as a culture to stop making assumptions about people's health based on their body. Stop commenting on people's body. Don't assume weight loss is a good thing. I've had so many of my patients with anorexia who have said, oh, when I was at my sickest, I was getting the most compliments or, mm. you know, I was in terrible health. I had this horrible chronic medical condition and everyone's complimenting me about how great I look and how just invalidating that was. So if we just need to close our mouths more when it comes to commenting on other people's bodies. It seems like we have to rewire our brains mm -hmm. um, and, our, and our social habits. 
So I'd like to get advice from all of you on how we can move forward with insights about body positivity in mind. Catherine, how about you go first? Mm. I think if we can begin to value relationship with body and food as much as we value these downstream health consequences that we are imagining are um, right out of sight for any fat person we see. Um, I think that would be huge. I think that um, if we can support embodiment work for folks so that we can learn to exist in the present moment with the body that we have, that will um, enable a lot more people to actually tap into that version of health that they are defining for themselves. But when we are chasing some other body ideal, that isn't accessible. So embodiment, being in the present with our own bodies, celebrating the differences between bodies and pursuing healthy relationships with food. Chelsea, what about you? Yeah, so I think we can focus on what our body allows us to do. That's a big way to kind of get away from the body image piece of how I look or how I appear to other people, but focusing on, okay, the, maybe these thighs that aren't my favorite, they're powerful and they allow me to go on this hike with my family or, you know, I'm not loving my body post baby, but look what I did. I brought life into the world, kind of reframing around that. Like what, what is your body allowing you to do? How about you, Jess? Um, I have this saying that body's body. Um, and I've just been saying that to myself lately, body's body, our lives go through changes. So of course our bodies go through changes in response to those life changes. And we just, when we embody that, like body's body, like my body is going to do, like you said, keep me safe, keep me protected, um, in whatever season it's in. If I honor that season, then I'm taking away the power of like, the changes that are actually happening and I'm just honoring them. Um, it's like Martinez Evans said, he was, he was like, when I was 80 pounds lighter, I wasn't 80 pounds happier. Right. So it doesn't matter. And you can insert X, it can be five pounds, 10 pounds, whatever that like last, whatever you're trying to lose. If you get the focus off of that and say, my body's going to body, let me take the scale out of the bathroom for a second. And let me just acknowledge what's going on in my life my mental, my emotional, my spiritual, whatever it is that's changing and focus on that. Well, I want to thank my guests, Jess Thompson, owner of Get Fit 615 Gym, Chelsea Medley, family nurse practitioner, and Catherine McWaters, registered dietitian and nutritionist. Thanks to all of you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll meet three Nashvilleians who are experiencing fat joy and are sharing that joy with others. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Nina Cardona, and this is Nashville. 
There's a sense in our society that the larger a person is, the less healthy or capable they are. Before the break, we talked to people who are busting those myths. Now let's meet some folks who are bringing people with bigger bodies together so they can experience joy just as they are. Kimmy Garris runs the Instagram account Fat Positive Nashville. And Sania Jamison runs Curvy Confidence Dance. Kimmy and Sania, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. Kimmy, tell us why you started Fat Positive Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like there was just a lack of community after COVID. And I think a lot of people were feeling that way. Um, I've been in a lot of communities in Nashville, but most of the time I just felt like it was lacking some kind of awareness or understanding of just like living in a larger body. And so I wanted to create an intentional space for people who are living in larger bodies. How important is it for you to have the group members feel safe and included? I mean, it's the most important thing. Yeah. So how, how do you do that? Yeah, um, I think there's a couple of ways that we do it. Um, I uh, kind of have like a list on the page if you go down and um, just kind of state the values of the page. Um, you know, we're an anti-diet space um, trying to dismantle, um, you know, anti-fat bias. Um, we don't talk about weight. We don't talk about um, our bodies changing. And we focus on um, just joyful community and all of the things um, we love to do in our larger bodies. What are some things about being in public spaces that people in smaller bodies might not be aware of? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things you may not consider. Um, you know, one of the hardest things I think for a lot of people is, um, will this seat fit me? Does it have arms? Can my body fit inside of the seat with arms? Is it weight bearing? Will I be able to sit in this chair without breaking it? Um, I don't think you understand uh, how hard it is if you've ever broken a chair or just like not been able to fit comfortably in a space. Um, it's It feels very unwelcoming. Sonia, what are the classes like at Curvy Confidence Dance and what do you teach there? Wow, the, the classes at Curvy Confidence is absolutely connected to freedom. You know, every single, the intention of this class is for you to leave loving yourself more and being a more free self. You know, having body gratitude, being able to affirm yourself, being able to be consistent with your self-love journey and having a community of safety and judgment and a judgment-free zone to move your body and jiggle that thing. Like, ultimately, we love a good jiggle, okay? It's nothing, you can't jiggle and be mad. So, <laughs> so if you want to get happy, come to Curvy Confidence Dance, jiggle your way through your problems and feel your best self with a community that loves you as you are. Yeah, and you, you know... Some people might actually, it becomes an advantage if you want to get that jiggle on. Oh, yeah. To have a little something it's that a, can jiggle. It's a fun way <laughs> to get fit if that's your goal. Yeah. But it's also, I always say, it's a way to get fit for fun. We incorporate, um, if you want to wear heels, you can. Um, we have twerk therapy classes and we also do heels classes. But it's curvy everything. Everybody, I always say every human body is curvy. And they're just in different ways. Curvy is just the opposite of a straight line in, in a sense. Um, and so, you know, no one's, no human is around here walking around looking like a box. You know what I'm saying? Your <laughs> right. face is curvy. I always say, look at your cheeks. Look at that curve in your cheek. Look at that curve on your elbow and how you move your arm. You create the curve that you love for yourself in that mirror. Now, I understand that you trained to be a professional dancer. Yes. Did you see or experiencing any uh, fat shaming as you were coming up in the dance world? I got some fat shame looks, honey. <laughs> um, but I think there is like undercover innuendo sometimes that was just like, I mean, that kind of insinuated, 
you need to kind of tighten up if you're going to do these moves the way or make, make it look the way it needs to on the stage. I'm like, I embody a feeling that's undeniable. And, you know, you can't, that's something that you just literally cannot take away from me. And so my jiggle, my jiggly bits is not going to take away from these moves because I'm going to hit them like you never seen them, you know, whether I got this belly or not. You know, but it was hard at first. I felt really self-conscious coming into the dance studio space because so many people are, you know, are trying to starve themselves, you know, fasting, doing all these things when, you know, technique is technique. I believe in technique. It matters. But technique doesn't show for anything in a performance if you can't feel it. Well, so it sounds like you're, you've made a place where you're working to erase that aspect of it and just get to the dance. Yes, exactly. How have people in the classes responded? Man, well, when they, some people come in and they're really nervous and they're just like, I don't know what I'm getting into, like twerk therapy, what? I don't know how to twerk. I don't have enough this, I don't have enough this. I said, this is why you're here because first of all, one of our rules and our goals is to learn how to speak kind to ourselves. So we practice that in the class. That is a very guided, directive class. Mm -hmm. So people are coming there for guidance. It's not just like show up. We're gonna do a quick warm up and then boom, cat, boom, cat, boom, cat. No, that's not what it is. You are there to get specific guidance on how to change the patterns of negative self-talk and change the patterns of practices that eliminate your self-worth. That's literally what we at Curvy Confidence Dance are dedicated to. And that's at any size. You can be small. You can have, I'll call them my uh, uh, skinny, pretty, itty-bitties. You know, you can be <laughs> jiggly, wiggly, pretty. You know, it's just like however your body is, you have to love it and accept it as it is and know that you can be strong in it. Mm -hmm. with a healthy community, you know. And so sometimes they come in a little nervous. But the pizzazz of not just me, because I say this is our class, the pizzazz of me and the rest of the people who have developed their confidence and increased their confidence by taking this class and this journey with me, you know, um, it really just starts to create this spark where everybody's in and we're all cheerleaders. And then they leave and they're like, oh, my God, like, I love me more. Like, I feel exhilarated. I have this new attitude, and I'm excited to come back. I love me more. What? That, that's, you know, that's your Yelp review right there, right? Mm -hmm. My next guest is also all about moving the body. Calvin Mitchell is a part of the Fat Boy Basketball League. Calvin, thanks for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for joining, um, inviting me. So tell me about the Fat, Ball, Fat Boy Basketball League. Where did the inspiration come from? Um, it started from another guy. It was his idea to, to just have fat fat guys play basketball. Um, when I got there, it was like we had over 100 people in the gym, and it was impossible for us to kind of pick up basketball and play. And I kind of went into, like, um, get-it-together mode. All right, so kind of we picked teams, had a draft, um, and it just went from there. It started as a joke, and it kind of is like a real thing at this point. What are the requirements to be um, in the league? To be in the league, you have to be at least 25. Um, we don't want no young guys because even even the young fat guys, they're they're like super athletic. The stigma is like if you're fat, you, you can't you can't move, right? But we kind of put away with that, and um, you have to be at least 35% body fat. Um, so that kind of puts away all the skinny guys. We had a lot of skinny guys in the league when we first started because we didn't really have any guidelines. Um, and so now everybody's in the league is at least 35%. So everybody has a little belly on them. Um, and we just keep them active. And, and just kind of, I guess, embrace them being fat. 
Why, why was that important to have that, that space just for the bigger guys? Um, I, I think because the competition level, like when you go to like other leagues and stuff, it's just like it, it being, being a bigger person. I've been kind of big my whole life. And it's it's like you can't keep up with the the smaller guys, right? And and at that point, it's kind of like you know you get get the jokes and stuff like that. But with us being in our own community, it's one of those things like, hey, I can compete against guys that's like me, right? Um, you got guys, little smaller guys, come in dunking and stuff. And you like, man, how can I get that high, right? Um, so just putting it in a in a position to where everybody could be on the same level, I guess. But once you kind of, I guess. Think about it or, or look at it, right? We got we got fat guys that's like real athletic, right? and I've, it's something that people haven't seen and they they think think it's a joke until they actually see it. It's like, dang, these guys are actually moving out there. Right? If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host for the day, Nina Cardona. We're talking this hour about the people who bring fat joy to their communities. My guests are Kimmy Garris, Sonia Jamison, and Calvin Mitchell. You can join the conversation and tweet us at this is Nashville. Now. You mentioned that you've got a player draft for the league. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Um, so the player draft, we basically have open gyms, basically where we got kind of get guys together, make sure we weigh them, make sure they fit the criteria that we want, make sure they have the right attitudes. And basically the draft, they have to come to at least two open gyms um, to make sure they mesh with the guys. And then we have a draft. We do stage. We got uh, Dada Silva, which is kind of like my co-CEO. He helps me do everything. And he hosts it, and we put on the antics, have stage, uh, lights. Um, oh, wow. We live stream it, um, all kind of stuff. Wow, that's a whole big show just for your draft. Yeah, just for the draft. So even during the season, like, we're probably the only league that kind of gives out trophies to grown men, right? <laughs> so it's we give out um, Biggest Loser Award, right? So guys that, that basically come in and do their thing, and they, and they do good um, as far as the season. We give them trophies for that. We have an all-star game for the fat guys, that like the best fat guys in the league, uh, where we have two teams come together and play basketball. You got fans and spectators showing up? Yeah, for sure. So it's open to the public. Um, we have a, It's family-friendly, so it is open to the public. This season will be a brick church. Uh, season starts September 10th. Um, and basically just... You come in, show it. We got, like I said, we got live DJ. We got concession stands. Um, uh, we will have a family day where we can um, got, have guys like signing autographs and stuff. So the guys that's in the league right now, even though they're fat, it's kind of putting them in a position to where it embraces them being fat so people recognize them in the community. All right? So that's a big deal with us. Kimmy, I see you smiling and nodding at all <laughs> of this. Yeah. Well, both of you, yeah. yeah. Kimmy, what, what, what's going through your mind right now? Um, I just love seeing spaces where um, fat bodies are welcomed because traditionally um, it's either we're not welcomed or it's, sure. you just can't access the space. Either the activity level is too high, people yeah. refuse to make modifications, um, or you know, you're just not welcome. You, you feel othered. Yeah. You know, before the break, we were talking with guests about some of the biases that are held against people with larger bodies. And, and that can happen in any environment, even with medical professionals. Mm-hmm. What is the effect when a doctor holds that bias? Wow. I mean, to be very real, like it can kill patients. Um, like medical anti-fat bias is like so serious and um, it can affect people at any weight, um, even if they're in like a smaller um, body um, because... Yeah, it's just dangerous to think that every um, body that is larger or has some more weight on it um, is inherently bad or unhealthy or you have diabetes or any kind of illness. Um, But even if you do have those things, it's okay. You should be able to get treatment that isn't reliant on losing weight. How does this discussion come up at Fat Positive Nashville? 
Yeah, I think a lot of people share their personal experiences. I know I've gone through a lot of medical um, issues and stigma the past two years. Um, And so I think it's just a safe space to be able to talk about that and hopefully maybe find a practitioner that's a little bit safer, that treats us in a way um, that isn't so focused on our weight or losing weight. Yeah, and maybe recognizes that the weight maybe is a symptom and not a cause. Yeah, sometimes. it could be a symptom or like it could also just be like totally unrelated. There's right. there's just so many ways to have a body and, and um, yeah. Are you having similar conversations at Curvy Confidence Dance, Nia? Indeed. Um, you know, a lot of people feel uncomfortable showing up anywhere. They don't want to go out. They don't want to go anywhere and, you know, for, for people to see their body. And so I find myself as a confidence coach, you know, um, I am a confidence coach. So people have the ability to, you know, go to my website and, and either become a member or get some classes on coaching how to exist when people are shaming you and still be your most confident self, no matter what your weight is. And um, when it comes to health, I think it starts with your mental Um, and your spirit. And so we don't really talk about, oh, your health is completely surrounded by the amount of fat on your body. What is your mental space doing? What is your soul telling you? Mm -hmm. You know, what are contributing factors that empower your self-hate? That's what we want to eliminate, you know, and, and dance through affirmations is the process of eliminating that self-hate. That's always been the intention. Um, And also curating them to change. Like, don't be afraid to change what's not working in your life. If you have a doctor that is, you know, not advocating for you in just like anybody else, any other body, you know, then you need to change doctor and that's okay. You know, I have a beautiful nurse practitioner and she has the most beautiful way of communicating and having compassion and grace for whatever I'm going through. That could be a culprit and whatever. And, you know, I love her. So find people you love. That says so much to find people you love. I want to thank my guests, Calvin Mitchell with the Fat Boy Basketball League, Sunia Jamison with Curvy Confidence Dance, and Kimmy Garris with Fat Positive Nashville. Thank you all for bringing the joy. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Gratitude. And thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Michaela Elias is our technical director. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Kim Baldwin. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Nina Cardona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody.